0: had a great and safe Memorial Day weekend. Today is Tuesday although to be honest it kind of feels like Monday because we didn't do a podcast on Monday because obviously it was Memorial Day so uh, today's Tuesday but we're gonna kind of treat it like a Monday and the Bengals uh, concluded or at least uh, kicked off their last week of phase two voluntary workouts before they go into OTAs next week. Uh, We heard from the star of the show today that was Tyler Boyd going to talk about his return, what his upcoming season means, and we'll hear from Dan Lobby from the Orange and Brown Talk podcast to get his thoughts on uh, some AFC North, AFC North offseason talk. Welcome to another offseason edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad and Mike Nizak here with you today. First time Mike and I have uh, done this together without Andrew, who is currently coming back from a little getaway in Charlotte. He'll be back with us on Wednesday. And before Mike and I get things going, I want to remind you guys to tell us why you, and I mean you, are a Bengals fan. Go to strictlystripes.com. Click on the link that says why I'm a Bengals fan. It'll give you a Google Doc form, which is a survey that you fill out telling us when you became a fan, why you became a fan, and what the Bengals mean to you. And in the coming days and weeks, we're going to share some of the many responses we've been getting And if we think some responses are worth sharing even further, we just might have you on this podcast. So go to StrictlyStripes.com and tell us your story. So obviously, Mike, like I mentioned, we saw Tyler Boyd uh, for the first time today since the Bengals off-season workouts commenced. Uh, He was in Pittsburgh, where his family is currently at right now. Uh, And so he came back Tuesday, being today. Uh, And I think there's an interesting thing. I know I wasn't really in on... Tyler Boyd when he spoke, but I know you were. On the one hand, he was saying, you know, I've made enough money in my career because obviously he's going into a contract year. But then towards the end, I think he said, well, it's all about the money. And if I'm back here next year, it's about getting a a good deal based on the money and what I'm offered. So it, it sounds like there's kind of a contradictory, conflicting message there. But I mean, when you heard Tyler Boyd talking today, did you get the sense that he's a man who knows that? his days are numbered, or do you think he's not really even thinking about that? I mean, what did you kind of get from Tyler Boyd talking about his future today?
1: Well, I don't think he said that he wasn't – he had made enough money. I think he was talking about that in terms of um, this year and, you know, forcing a contract extension, and, you know, he said he was good, um, you know, with the contract this year. I was happy to let them negotiate with some of the other guys and get those contracts done. Um, and that, you know, when it's his turn, it'll be his turn. Um, it, his saying that, you know, in terms of an extension, yeah, there was a, you know, there is a, an amount that obviously he would like to get. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I think that, um, you know, somebody just talked about, you know, his market value, um, you know, and, but he also said that, you know, he thought that the Bengals would make a strong offer, um, strong enough offer where he would have a hard time leaving his, you know, family or home. So, um, he was pretty consistent in that, um, you know, just I, I think obviously, you know, he understands that they uh, drafted a couple of young guys that, you know, could potentially take a spot. But um, he wasn't really worried about that, you know, really just focused on the kind of the here and here and now. And, um, you know, it doesn't feel like, you know, I, I think that the door is shutting on, on his time in Cincinnati just yet.
0: So, like we mentioned he 's obviously going into the last year of his current four year extension uh which kicked in back in I'm trying to do the math twenty twenty yeah, kicked back in twenty twenty uh, and he's set to make obviously his base salaries uh just under eight and a half million dollars this year, so theoretically, if the Bengals cut him, which is not going to happen, but if they were to have cut him post June first, which is literally tomorrow, uh it would be a dead cap eating of one point four mil, but they would save. wait, let me do the math, 8.9 minus 1.4. So they'd save about seven and a half million dollars if they were to cut him. But obviously it's not going to happen. And I don't think it would have made sense to do that even with uh, drafting Charlie Jones. And if they were going to cut him, I think it would have already happened by now. But do you almost, like if you're just kind of looking at it, like you got Charlie Jones, you have Tyler Boyd, who is going to be 30 next year. He's closer to turning 29 this year. I mean, do you see the writing on the wall? Like, do you think this is it? Like Tyler Boyd? his time, even though he may not feel this way, like his time probably is coming to an end in Cincinnati. Cause if you're, you know, we've talked about it. If you're trying to keep Jamar Chase and you're trying to keep T Higgins. I think unless you can get a discount with him, which doesn't seem to be the case, you're almost guaranteed to watch Tyler Boyd walk in, in 2024. I mean, do you agree with that?
1: I mean, I think it all depends on kind of how much progress those, those young guys show. I mean, the ones are really, you know, a big prospect, you know, a big project, Uh, and Charlie Jones, you know, obviously will get a chance on special teams, and we'll kind of see, um, you know, can they come to an agreement on, like, a short-term deal? I think that makes more sense, you know, where you try to get another year or two out of Tyler Boyd to bridge that gap, Um, and then he gets another shot at the, you know, another contract. Um, You know, it just depends on on, on kind of the numbers, and we'll see, you know, none of these contract extensions have been done. We don't know what the numbers look like. And so it's kind of hard to say, right? Like, um, you know, they haven't signed Joe Burrow, They haven't signed T. Higgins. Can't negotiate with Jamar until next year. And so, I mean, I think we'll have a better idea once those deals start to take shape and we get, a, you know, what the numbers are and how much room they have. You know, right now, obviously, it seems like a long shot, especially if he was to try to, you know, push 15 million, you know, between 10 and 15 million. That um, seems like a lot, but, um, you know, I think we'll just have to wait and see once we kind of figure out what these extensions look like for, yeah, obviously, the, the high price these mega deals look like.
0: You know, I w- I don't want to compare this to a Jesse Bates situation because obviously when, when Bates was going into his contract year and when his contract was up before he got tagged, I mean, he knew he was worth a lot of money. He bet on himself last year when he signed the tag, and that's why he's the highest paid safety in the NFL right now, the Atlanta Falcons. I know that Tyler Boyd obviously knows he's not going to go for that top dollar money for a slot receiver, but I mean, you talked about it. What if he wants to go towards that, you know, $15 million range? I mean, he's been making about a, you know, 8.25 million every year on his current deal. You know, if you're going to go above 10, you know, 10 to 15, that might be a lot. I could maybe, maybe see a situation where let's say, maybe I want to get your thoughts on this. Let's say you, you lock down T Higgins you lock down obviously Joe Burrow and maybe Logan Wilson. Would it make sense if you get all those guys done in a perfect world, you get all those guys locked down. Would it make sense to put a franchise tag on Tyler Boyd? Or is that stretching it when you think about, like I said, he's going to be 30, maybe his production declines next year. Like would it even be worth considering putting a tag on him If you get those guys locked down in the coming days and months?
1: No, um, because then you'd be way overpaying. Um, for um, you know, uh, I think you're paying a premium on a position you can't afford to. I um, mean, he was making yeah. ten over ten million dollars the last two years. So, I mean, you're already you've already paid him quite a bit. I think the difference between the Jesse Bates uh, situation on this one is that this isn't his second contract. This is his third. So he already right. had a big money deal once. Um, in a long term, you know, um, stability. Like he doesn't necessarily need, um, you know, I, I think it'd be sort of, uh hard to find, you know, a real long-term deal on the market at 30 years old or 29 years old. Um, so, you know, I, I do think there's a difference there in those situations. Um, no, I think you're looking at something short-term. I think you're hoping to try to, you know, squeeze out, you know, depending on what those first two years look like for P. Higgins and Go Burrow, um, if there's some room there to throw, you know, Tyler Boyd an offer that's, you know, maybe below market value, but, um, you know, at least gets him what he, you know, is not insulting. It feel, you know, he feels that, you, you know, you've come up from what you you can do and, you know, uh, we'll see what that number is, right? You know, he didn't go into that or what number would make it work. Um, you know, we'll just have to kind of wait and see here. Like I said, I think we'll have a better idea what they'll have available or if it's even, you know, feasible once some of these contracts come in.
0: And I think the advantage Boyd has in his sort of, you know, deck of cards is he's a slot receiver playing at a number three spot, but he can move around. He's played as a number one, number two receiver, you know, during the Marvin Lewis, A.J. Green era when A.J. Green was hurt. Even uh, in the beginning of the Zach Taylor era when they still had A.J. Green, you know, I think it was what, Zach's first year, he had over a thousand receiving yards. I think he's had two 1,000 plus receiving yard season. So uh, he can move around. Then that is advantageous. Like if you want to get a guy who played in the slot and move him on the outside, you could do that. That's an advantage he has. I mean, like you said, he wouldn't have as much in the tank compared to other guys playing on the outside, but it just depends on what do you think you can get out of him? What can't you get out of him? If you're like another team looking at him as a free agent, I think the interesting thing with Charlie Jones too, is obviously, you know, they drafted him as a project. Like you said, he's a fourth round pick. But let's say, you know, whether it's as a punt returner or as a number four receiver or as a backup if you know, say T or Jamar or Tyler gets hurt and you don't quite feel hot with him or you don't feel hot with Andre Yoshevus I'd probably said his last name wrong. Please forgive me, Andre. But um, with either of those guys, you don't feel hot with them. 2024 20, draft rolls around. You get a slot guy in the second round, which I mean, look at history. That's what they did in 16. 2016 they drafted Boyd a slot receiver in the second round so if you're not so sold on Charlie Jones either it's not the end of the world you can always just get another guy in the first second round assuming that you're not going to stick with Tyler Boyd so I think there's a lot of scenarios that could go either way they give him a discount like you said you know they let him go and maybe they're not high on Charlie Jones and they draft someone in the second round I think the verdict on that will be out once we see how Boyd and Jones both look in 2023 uh but stay with us because you know looking ahead to 2023 we're gonna chat with my good friend Dan Lobby as we compare and contrast the Bengals and Browns off seasons who has won the arms race in the AFC North this off season and why does that matter we'll have that discussion with Dan when we return on the Strictly Stripes podcast all right. Thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Joining me is my special guest and fellow coworker, and I guess you could say co-host Dan Lobby from the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, another great Cleveland.com podcast that you need to listen to if you're not listening to it already. Even if you're a Bengals fan, because they talk a lot about the AFC North, and Dan and Mary Kay and Ashley do a great job. Dan, my friend, it feels like I talked to you so many times on the <laughs> phone, I texted so many times, and now we're on a podcast together. After God knows how long. How are you doing, my friend?
2: I'm doing well. This might be my first official time on like just the Strictly Stripes pod. I know we've done some yeah, crossovers. I, I think it might be. I'm not sure, I but I can tell be. you, if people haven't listened to Orange and Brown Talk, we are big Joe Burrow fans over on the Orange and Brown Talk <laughs> podcast. We talk, See? give, Joe, we give See? Joe a lot of love over
0: there. I think a lot of people show Joe Burrow a lot of love, except for, I think, like one of the Chiefs podcasts, is indifferent, but obviously after the Burrowhead stuff, you know, they're going to have a different opinion on him, but um no, obviously. Yeah. I mean, you guys have done a really good job this off season covering the Brown side of things and, you know, parlaying that into the AFC North. Uh, and really I wanted to kind of talk about that, but obviously more the Browns versus just the AFC North at large. I want to sort of get your thoughts on, you know, where the Browns off season overlaps or coincides with, you know, moves the Bengals have made this off season. And I guess really, the thing I wanted to ask you about, and I talked to Mary Kay Cabot about this a while back when, you know, free agency first opened up in the middle of March. You know, they get uh, Elijah Moore from the Jets, uh, you know, another weapon for Deshaun Watson. You look at all those defensive moves they've been making from Ogro. I'm going to say his name wrong. Ogbo <laughs> Okranquo. Is that how you it's, say it's it?
2: Obo, yeah. Obo Okronquo.
0: Oh, Caronco. So you get him from Houston, you get Delvin Tomlinson, and they just make a crazy trade out of left field for Zadarius Smith from Minnesota. Um, and then you get Juan Thornhill from uh, Kansas City. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion. So clearly, you know, on the free agent side of things, they really bolstered up on defense. And offensively, they made a really nice move with Elijah Moore. I guess when you look at the free agency moves that Cleveland made on defense – How do you contrast that with where the Bengals bolstered up their defense with the draft? Because obviously they drafted Miles Murphy. They drafted DJ Turner. They drafted DJ Ivy. They drafted Jordan Battle. Uh, Free agency-wise, the only defender they really signed that was notable was Nick Scott, which is an important signing. But how do you sort of contrast the Browns free agency moves on defense with the Bengals draft moves on defense?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I think both teams are just in sort of different places with their defenses, right? The Bengals kind of built that defense up. You know, Trey Hendrickson was kind of that really big kind of exclamation point signing. Um, you know, they went out and they got a couple safeties as well. Uh, you know, Von Bell and, you know, so they got a little expensive on that side of the ball. And sometimes that's going to you're, you're going to have to cycle through that a little bit. It's interesting. They're kind of following like the chiefs model from a year ago where Kansas city had a really expensive defense. And then they went into the draft and they really rebuilt that defense for the Browns. I just think a lot of this is the Jim Schwartz effect. This is, you know, you can't get a race car driver and give him a Honda civic. You know, Jim Schwartz is the head coach of the defense and they brought him in because they wanted to bring in a super bowl caliber defensive coordinator. Of course he won that one in Philadelphia, uh, back in 2017, I think it was was it 2016 or 2017. One of those years, 2017. Yeah. And, uh, You've got to give him weapons. You've got to give him defensive linemen. You've got to give him a safety he can trust in the back end. And some of what the Browns did, too, was sort of making up for past mistakes. So Andrew Barry went out and signed, gave John Johnson the third big money. It didn't work. Two years later he's gone. They replace him with Juan Thornhill. He drafts a couple edge rushers last year and kind of does the piecemeal Jadavion Clowney thing. Well, you can only play the Jadavion Clowney game for so long. Eventually you got to get out of it or it's gonna burn you, and that's what happened. So they go and they get Obo gronko kind of a money ball type move, betting on upside, and they bring in Zadarius Smith in a really nice trade, I thought, uh, late late in the process. So, you know, they beef up defensive tackle, which was such a huge area of need last year. It's just throwing money at the problems, but that's what you have to do sometimes when you're, when you feel you're ready to win and you don't pay a quarterback, $230 million guaranteed if you don't think you're ready to win. So, so they had to go do this stuff.
0: And obviously, you know, going back to the Bengal side of things, I mean, you know, a lot of the guys that they drafted aren't really going to make an immediate roll out the gate because miles Murphy, it's probably going to be a rotational piece with Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. And of course, you still have Joseph Osai. So it's pretty loaded on the edge rusher side. And then DJ Turner probably won't start next year because you still got Jadobia woozy on a contract year. And imagine he replaces him after that. But then Jordan Battle's probably going to be behind. I would assume Nick Scott if he's that strong safety. DJ Ivy, if he makes the team. If he's not a practice squad guy, that's another backup. So like I said, those draft picks aren't really going to make an immediate, immediate impact. But in the long run, whenever maybe, say, the Bengals move on from DJ Reader, Trey Hendrickson, uh, Chadobi Awuzier, you know, you have to make some tough decisions in 2024 where you maybe have to cut or you can't keep some of these guys. Can you actually see the, those guys sort of winning the arms race defensively against sort of what, like you said, Andrew Barry and Jim Schwartz have going with all the money they threw at those guys this year?
2: You know, it It just depends because you're just so reliant on these free agents to, to kind of work out. And free agency can be a dangerous game because there's a reason these guys hit the market. And there's a reason these guys are available and aren't with their, their former team. I mean, I mentioned John Johnson the third Two off-seasons ago when the Browns went and got him, that was a universally praised signing to get him from the Rams. And it was a huge deal. They paid him big money to come here and be, and be the guy on the back end of that defense. And it didn't happen. It didn't work. So it's a dangerous game. I mean, are we a hundred percent sure Zadarius Smith is going to show up and give you what he did in the first half last year, or is it going to be more like in the second half when he was hurt? Um, you know, those are the questions you, you have to answer, but I think the Browns, this is just, this is all in. So I, I still think Cincinnati has the better defense because I just, I, I refuse to buy into the Browns on paper, alone this year. I've done it before and I've gotten burned too many times. So I just, I need to see it on the field. <laughs> and I know that the Bengals have a great defensive coordinator. I like Jim Schwartz too. I think Jim Schwartz is a great defensive coordinator, but I know Lou Anaramo Lou Anaramo See, this is my, my trying to say Anna Rumo. Lou Anaromo. Lou Rumo <laughs> one of the best defensive coordinators in the game, probably going to be a head coach soon. Um,
0: Should I have been he a head can, coach.
2: Yeah, I think he can work miracles with with anything. So they still have, I mean, you guys still have a lot of talent there in, in Cincinnati on that defense, and it kind of starts up front. They're still strong in the back end. I think getting Awuzie back off that injury is huge. I think losing him last year was, was a huge blow to that defense. So I would still give the edge to the Bengals, but some of that is just I don't want to give the Browns too much credit on paper just yet. I like what they've done, but I just have to see it in practice.
0: And of course, I think, you know, the counter argument, some people might say, and I know Mike Nisak and I have talked about this, you know, you don't know what you're going to get out of Nick Scott and Dax Hill and Jordan Battle because, you know, Jesse Bates and Von Bell, that chemistry they had last year, it didn't come overnight. They played three years together in Cincinnati, and that third year was when you really saw them take off. They obviously played well the year they went to the Super Bowl, but it just seemed like last year is when really those two guys played their best ball. There's a reason why Jesse Bates is the highest paid safety in the NFL. I mean, he got a very well-deserving contract in Atlanta. Von Bell got more guaranteed money with Carolina than I think what the Bengals would have given him. So uh, they really earned their bearings there, and that's why these guys hit the market, because they know they're valuable. And so we'll see what happens in the backfield at the safety spot. But I did want to ask you, speaking of sort of draft picks, like with the Bengals, for the Browns, I mean – You know, they get Siaki Ika. Is is that how you say his name? The Baylor defensive tackle? Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. Siaki Ika. They get Siaki Ika. Uh, They get Isaiah McGuire, uh, Cameron Mitchell. Obviously, I think they went more heavy offensively because they got Cedric Tillman, Dewan Jones, Luke Weipler, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I mean, so clearly I think the the draft favored the offense a little bit more. I mean, how do you see those draft picks – boosting the Browns offense and how much does that help them maybe narrow the gap with the Bengals, depending on how, wide do you think that gap is? So
2: Andrew Barry has been pretty clear about his philosophy with the draft. And especially in these last two drafts where they haven't had first round picks and actually two years in a row. Now they haven't had second round picks after they made, they made a draft day trade last year to move back. And then of course this year they moved back and, and brought in, um, uh, Elijah Moore from the Jets. So they haven't had first or second round picks the last couple of years. And Andrew Berry's made it very clear that like, it's hard to find starters in the third, fourth, fifth round and beyond. So they're kind of looking for traits guys. And when they bring guys in, they want to give them time to develop and grow. And so we've seen Andrew kind of take the approach of, we're going to spend in free agency for guys we need now. And then we're going to draft guys and let them sort of play into roles. Now, that doesn't mean Siaki Ika can't start week one. If he, the defensive tackle position behind Dalvin Tomlinson is still pretty wide open. So there's room there. If he plays well, he can get in there. But there's also guys like Mo Hurst or Tristan Hill, a couple of veteran journeymen who could maybe win that job. On, on the outside, it's going to be Zadarius Smith and Obo Okaranko on the other side of Miles Garrett. So that means Isaiah McGuire. He could get some playing time, but there's not really the pressure on him to come in and play right away. Cameron Mitchell, the same deal. Like they've got Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, Martin Emerson, some other guys that, that are undrafted guys through the years that they like there. So they're, they're more depth right now. So I, I don't think there's a lot of pressure on this rookie class right now. And that's kind of how Andrew Barry likes it. He likes to bring guys in and let them grow and develop, especially in years
0: when he doesn't have first or second round picks. You look at the Browns' offensive line, and it's pretty much untouched. You still have Jed Willis to extend the fifth-year option on him, Joel Batonio, Ethan Pochich, White Teller, Jack Conklin. You got some pro bowlers up on that line. I know the verdict is still kind of out on Jed Willis because he sort of had uh, some inconsistencies, but they clearly had faith in him giving him that option because uh, he was a former first-round pick. You know, when you look at that and then you look at the Bengals who now have Orlando Brown on the left side, you know, they still have Ted Karras, Cordell Volson, um, Alex Kappa. And then really, we don't know what's going to happen on the right side because, like, we don't know if it's going to be Jonah Williams, Jackson Carmen. will Lyle Collins be healthy, and does he compete to win that job? So although right tackle is still a question, they're loaded with depth at right tackle. You even have Hakim Adenogy behind all those guys. I mean, at this point... With the Browns keeping their guys intact and the Bengals adding Orlando Brown, who has the edge on the offensive line between those two teams? I still
2: have to go with the Browns. And, you know, you're right. Jed Wills is still the big question mark over there. Even with the fifth-year option, um, you know, I think they played – I think they feel he played better than maybe some of, like, if you look at PFF grades and things like that. I think they feel he played better than that. Um, And I think they like what they've seen out of him. But there's still a question there as he goes into – what are now those final two years of his contract? Joel Batonio, I, I think he's the best guard in football. If he's not the best guard in football, he's top two, top three. He's got a chance, a very outside chance at this point. But if he puts together four or five more really good years, he might be in that discussion to join Joe Thomas and Canton one day. He's, he's that good. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Wyatt Teller has really developed into a nice player. He's grown. There's still some, You know, he has his moments, uh, especially in pass protection. Ethan Posich was really a surprise last year uh, when he had to step in after Nick Harris. One of their draft picks got hurt. Nick Harris was supposed to take over. Instead, it's going to be Posich now long term. Uh, But he played well last year if he can put together a good season. And with Jack Conklin, it's just health. If he can just stay healthy. He's had some pretty serious injuries over there at right tackle. uh, But he, he came back last year played well. If he can be that guy again, they just gave him an extension, which was a little bit of a surprise. Um, it kind of tells you that the guys in the building, the younger guys, they just didn't believe in those guys to step in. So I, I think I think the Browns offensive line is still the better two of the units, just based on Batonio, Teller, Conklin, and then what I think postage can be. And on top of that, they have Bill Callahan. And I I don't know how many just about to say that. Yeah. I mean, Bill Callahan, I think generally most people know how good he is, which is weird for an offensive line coach for people to know that. But he really is like he has been, he was Kevin Stefanski's most important hire after he took the job. I don't know if we knew it at the time, but definitely now with the benefit of hindsight, Bill Callahan, who also got an extension from from the Browns, by the way, um, he has, has definitely been Kevin Stefanski's most important hire. And he's the reason or one of the
0: reasons this line has been so good. Maybe that explains why Brian, his son, has done so well with the Bengals offense. Maybe the apple really didn't fall far from the tree there. Yeah, I feel like that's a little like family rivalry that hasn't been played up quite
2: quite enough yet.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, whenever they played the Bengals, the Browns played the Bengals on Monday night. Before the game, I saw one of the TV monitors in the press box and it showed – Brian talking with his dad and I took a picture of it, you know, just to show it to Brian later whenever we would talk to him during the week, like we usually do every week. And I was like, Hey, did you, did you see that? That was you and your dad talking. He was like, Oh, so the TV monitors finally catching on to the Callahan's like sarcastically. Yeah. I don't think it's been played up as much as it should be. I don't even know if they ran that on the actual TV or if the cameras just caught that. But now the Callahan rivalry is definitely interesting, but they're both very successful. They're both good at what they do. I mean, I think Callahan's the best O-line coach in the league. Uh, Brian is the best O-line coach in the league. Or No, Bill. It's Bill. been a long day. Today, it's Tuesday. <laughs> it feels like my Monday. Bill is the best O-line coach. Brian is definitely making a case for being one of the best coordinators. Um, and so that's going to be interesting to watch. A little bit of an arms race there on the offensive side of the ball. So I want to wrap up with this real quick, Dan. I mean, the offseason's not over yet. We still have, you know, on the Bengals side, OTAs, mini camps. Same is true for you guys before training camp. Is there anything that either team is leaving on the table right now? And who do you think has really won the offseason, the Bengals or the Browns?
2: Any, I still think, and this is sort of a timely point to bring up because of the DeAndre Hopkins stuff that's swirling around. And of course, we know Deshaun Watson and DeAndre were longtime teammates in Houston. Uh, I was just at the Browns charity golf outing today and Deshaun spoke and he kind of openly lobbied for DeAndre Hopkins to sign here. Um, so that, that's something interesting to keep an eye on. I, I like the Browns receiving core. I like, you know, Amari Cooper is fantastic. Um, you know, Elijah Moore is a great addition. Donovan Peoples Jones had a career year last year. I don't know if that's his ceiling or if there's still more there. I do wonder though, if, we, if the Browns go into this season with the, with this exact receiving core as is, and they also had a Marquise Goodwin from, uh, from Seattle and then they have some young guys, uh, behind them. I do wonder if there's a point where we're sitting on the Orange and or Brown Talk podcast in like October or November, and we're thinking, "Man, this this wide receiving core feels like one guy short," and that that guy doesn't necessarily have to be DeAndre Hopkins, but I you know I don't know who else could become available in cuts or trades, or you know we know Andrew Berry's going to be aggressive in the trade market; he always has been. So, uh, I, I would never rule anything out, but that's one position where I just kind of wonder, like it's good. It feels like the top of it is very good. I have some questions about the depth and I do wonder if we're going to be saying, man, they're, they're like a one guy short there. As far as who's won the off season, I, it's time. Mean, it just depends. Like what, what's, what's your flavor? Man. Do you love, do you love aggression and free agency and sign and big name guys? Do you love the draft? I think it's going to come down to did, did is a regular off season and a normal offseason and those six games, you know, knocking off the rust, is that enough for Deshaun Watson to put himself back in the discussion of being a, you know, being in that same sentence as, uh, I don't want to put anybody in the Mahomes class. I don't want to make any of your listeners angry. I think Mahomes is in a tier by himself. But can Deshaun I, Watson, I
0: will agree with you on that, and
2: I think my listeners probably get mad at me for that too, <laughs> but still. <laughs> can, can Deshaun Watson play himself into or close to the Joe Burrow class, the Justin Herbert tier? You know, the, that tier of quarterback right behind Mahomes. Can he get himself? I mean, this is a guy that led the league in passing yardage the last time he played a full season. Uh, now, they also went 4-12 and 12 that year, but we've seen Deshaun have success and make the playoffs before. I think that's the key to this whole off season for the Browns is Deshaun Watson, a $230 million quarterback or not. I mean, I hate to, it feels like every discussion we have about the Browns boils down to that, but that's really what it is. Can the Browns turn him back into that guy?
0: And if they do, then maybe they're the team that won the off season. You know, as far as like leaving something on the table um, you know, I think with the Bengals and we talked about this, Mike Andrew and I, It's just a matter of tight end. Like, you know, you don't draft a tight end. You don't re-sign Mitchell Wilcox or extend his franchise tender. Um, Obviously, you bring in Irv Smith to replace Hayden Hurst on a one-year rental like they did with Hurst. But do you trust Devin Asiasi to be your third tight end? You know, can you really rely on competition between Nick Bowers and Tanner Hudson on the practice squad to compete with Asiasi to be that number three tight end? And, I mean, obviously, they bring back Drew Sample for another year, but he has a lot of questions questions. He's been more mostly hurt than he's been healthy. It's why he didn't play past week two last year with, I think it was a knee injury that sidelined him. So we'll see maybe around cutdowns if they let someone like Asi go on waivers and they get someone else. If they stick with Asi I'd imagine they bring, they bring in one more guy or they elevate one of those practice squad guys to the active roster. I don't know. But the Bengals normally play 11 personnel. They don't do 12. So, I don't think they're in that much of a need for a tight end, but it's still something I think you have to address because it's still part of the offense. I think, as far as who won or not, it's it's tough. But, like, for me, I would say if the Bengals do two things, if two things come to fruition, they won the offseason. The first being how much of a drop off is there at safety? Like, if you can put together at least anywhere from 50 to 75% of the production that Jesse Bates and Von Bell had. I think you're in good shape. Um, and I think the other part of it, number two, is did will Joe Burrow get sacked 35 times or less? Like he if he gets sacked more than 40 times, we have a problem. Because it was what 51 times two years ago. Two of the players on that line are no longer in the NFL, Quentin Spain and Trey Hopkins. Last year, I think he was sacked about forty I have to check the number 43 times, I think. The offensive line didn't click at first. So, you know, I look at it as you have no excuses. You're loaded at right tackle. You signed Orlando Brown. Ted Karras and your two guards are in good shape. You have to have one of the best O-lines in the NFL. Maybe not as good as the Browns, like you said, but you cannot let Joe Burrow get beat up like he's been beat up the last two, two and a half years. Um, And I think if those two things happen, at the very least, they'll be even with the Browns, assuming, you know, Deshaun Watson gets elevated. You know, like if Deshaun Watson is elevated and all those things about the Bengals I said come true, I think both teams won fair and square. But, you know, if the Browns get what they want with Watson, the Bengals don't get what they want with Burrow and the safeties, then you guys won and vice versa. I think that's probably a good way to look at it. But Dan, my friend, never enough time. That This by itself was just an amazing discussion. Um, I know I usually have Mary Kay on. I'll definitely have to have you on more often. Same with Ashley. All of you guys are great. It's one of my favorite people to work with. Uh, but we really appreciate your time, man, especially during the busy time in the off season for you guys.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's great. I'm sure we'll have uh, some crossover stuff coming up with you guys. And uh, you know, I, I keep telling our Orange and Brown talk listeners, we haven't done like our quarterback draft yet. We haven't done our annual coach draft yet. And we we got like Bengals writers now who could jump on there. So uh, yeah. we can maybe have some fun here once everybody gets through uh, their OTAs and, and their mini camps. And we're looking for we're looking for some of that that hot July content.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Coaches (laughs) rankings on our end, AFC North coaches rankings, AFC coaches rankings, NFL coaches rankings. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. So, yeah. And for those tuning in, like like he said, we're going to have a lot of crossovers. So uh, make sure you tune into that. But Dan, appreciate you again, my friend. Yep. Thanks for having me, Muhammad. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So we heard from Dan Lobby, uh, who had a very, very insightful discussion with me on, you know, the difference and similarities between the Bengals and Browns and what they've done this offseason in free agency, the draft and with trades the Browns have made. Uh, before we break that down even further, we want to remind you guys to sign up for our Strictly Stripes newsletter. It's free in your inbox every morning with the best reporting and insights on all things Bengals. Go to Strictly no, I lie. Don't go to StrictlyStripes.com. Go to Cleveland.com slash newsletters and sign up for the Strictly Stripes newsletter and sign up for our super-duper califragilistic, expialidocious Cincinnati Football Insider Subtext Service. It's a two-week free trial to start. We text you everything you need to know about the Bengals right after Zach Taylor's done speaking, right after we come out of the locker room, right after we walk off the practice field. And when things break, we will break it to you before we break it to Twitter and the web. So go to cleveland.com slash Bengals and click on the blue banner at the top to sign up. So we talked, uh, Mike, we talked with Dan. I talked with Dan and I, I asked him, you know, how would you decide if the Bengals or the Browns won the offseason? And what he kind of told me was he knows the Browns have won the offseason. If next year he's looking at Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Watson is almost in that same category as Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, and maybe even, you know, obviously, Lamar Jackson, if you want to spread the tear out, and Justin Herbert. And I told him, I think the Bengals will know they won the offseason in two ways. If Joe Burrow is sacked the fewest times he's been sacked in his career, because he's been sacked quite a bit, which we've talked a lot about in this podcast, if he's sacked the fewest time, fewest times he's been sacked in his career, whatever that number is, and if you can replicate at least seventy five percent of the production you got from Jesse Bates and Von Bell last year, how much of that do you think is true? Like, do you think those things have to happen to know that either team won the off season, or do you feel like one team has already won the off season over the other?
1: Well, I mean, yeah. Once you know the results, you could tell who won the off season. Wouldn't it just be the record? Like, I don't understand that. Like, I mean, if you well, based that, on you
0: know the draft, yeah. free agency, like. You know, did the Bengals go? Obviously, you know you wanted them to go a little hard in free agency. No, you know, do you like the way? you,
1: And the Bengals win a Super Bowl. I could tell you who won the off season.
0: <laughs> so what if neither team makes it to the? Well, only one team can make it to the Super Bowl. I mean, what if neither team is a Super Bowl champion and only one makes the playoffs? Do you? Obviously, you go with the Bengals or the Browns in that situation, no matter who it is. But I guess in the here and now, maybe in the here and now, just from what you've seen, the Browns trade for Zaydares Smith. They traded for Elijah Moore. They went way heavier on, you know, fixing their defense and free agency, and the Bengals did everything that we've talked about they've done. I mean, when you look at those two, who do you feel like has won the offseason so far?
1: Well, it's easier for um, the Browns to maybe claim the title because they did more because they had uh, more moves to make. Um, you know, they were a bad team last year, and they needed to, 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 you know, fill some holes and revamp some things and be aggressive. Like if you're the Bengals, all you did was sort of uh you know make a couple of tweaks and, and obviously make us you know you may have had a splash signing in Orlando Brown but really I mean it's continuity consistency um and sort of that's what they were going for so I mean it's a little bit different um you know the the Browns could have more guys that were contributors that they signed or traded for uh but the Bengals weren't as aggressive cuz they didn't need to be they didn't have as many holes they had a better roster so you know i, I don't know i mean like uh, uh, to me if the Bengals win the AFC North, I mean, they won the off season, right? They did what they had mm-hmm. to do, they won the division for a third straight year. Um, and, you know, that's what it is that they're, the they have the crown. I mean, how do you get any better than that? I mean, you know, however Deshaun Watson does, I'm not sure that's necessarily a fair measuring stick for this off season, right? Cause he was, he was, you know, quarterback they've had now for two years. So, I mean, it's more of the pieces around him um, that would have to really thrive um so I don't know, you know, I think we'll see, you know, I think they have an uphill battle because um, I, I still think their roster is pretty deficient in some some key areas. And, you know, the Bengals obviously, um, you know, I think any if you ask 10 people which quarterback situation you'd want, I mean, there's no question how that, an- that answer would go. So I, I don't know. I, I just feel that the Bengals have, you know, they didn't – they're not as splashy obviously in the offseason because they didn't need to be. Um, but they shouldn't be penalized for that, right? Because they didn't have to make those trades. They didn't have to um, do the things that Cleveland did to try to you know, shake up their roster.
0: Well, I think Dan would agree with you on that point because one thing he said was that, yeah, they spent all this money on Dalvin Tomlinson and uh, Juan Thornhill and Ogbo. I'm not going to say his last name because I'm going to get it wrong, but the edge rusher they got from Houston – um, among many other pieces obviously you know you trade for Zedaria Smith which I thought that was a good trade but I think even then he said the same thing you said of like just because they spent all that money on those free agent pieces it's hard to be completely sold on it because they're still very deficient in a lot of areas but how much do you think the addition of Jim Schwartz makes an impact because obviously he won a Super Bowl with the same role with the Philadelphia Eagles you know five six years ago I'm not saying he'll do the same thing this year but like if you're kind of putting him against Lou Anarumo, like is there sort of an arms race for who the better coordinator is, or do you still put Lou Anarumo leaps and bounds ahead of Jim Schwartz?
1: Well, I mean, I think Schwartz um, has an argument to make that he has a Super Bowl ring, but also, I mean, when he was head coach uh, with the Lions and they were sort of, um, you know, defend their defensive talent wasn't as as good uh, and they struggled. So, I mean, it's all about the talent you have. um, And I think, you know, Lou Anarumo would, it could be as, you know, he Coach, he was here when this team was bad, when they didn't have the talent. It took a while to rebuild. I didn't really, I was not impressed with anything that they, uh, Browns did, you know, uh, free agent spending wise. I thought their best deals were the two trades they made, to be honest. Um, You know, splurging for uh, two middling defensive linemen, you know, what they spent, uh, I think it's almost like $70 million or no, $80 million, um, you know, tied up into that. Uh, guys that weren't particularly young either. So I never thought those – I thought the trades they made were sort of the the, the headliners, uh, you know, obviously getting a guy that could play opposite Miles Garrett and, and, you know, make that defensive line again as impo- as imposing as it has been in, pre- in you know, last couple of years. Um, so, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Um, obviously they play head-to-head too. So, I mean, that helps kind of as a factor in determining that. You know, they have two games. so um, Including week one. Pretty- Yeah, so you can kind of, you know, they can obviously measure up together. So, um, you know, like I said, I still would vote the Bengals, and I still think that's how it will shake out. But, um, you know, obviously Cleveland made, obviously, a lot, lot more moves than the Bengals did.
0: And we'll be hearing a lot more from Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, and even Ashley Bastock once we hit into the dead period this summer. And even as we get closer to OTAs, uh, and mini-camp in the coming days and weeks. But stay with us. Andrew joins us tomorrow. We're going to talk about the biggest questions going into OTAs next week and other questions surrounding the Bengals looking ahead to the rest of the off season. But once again, for myself, Mike, and our special guest, Dan Lobby, I'm Muhammad Amar. We will see you on Wednesday. Not Tuesday, today's Tuesday.